How many know that when the Lord says something, he doesn't just say, this is what I'm going to do. And and like, we have to just sit back and watch it happen. Sometimes the Lord gives us a seed and Jeremiah chapter one says, I'm watching my word that I might perform it. Sometimes the prophetic is all about partnership. Like Ezekiel was taken and he he was taken on the hill to look at the Valley of Dry Bones. And the, the Bible says that he took, the Lord took him all around. In other words, he showed him from all different perspectives, it was dry bones. There was no doubt about it. But then the Lord said, Ezekiel, um, can these bones live? And of course, Ezekiel is spiritual and holy prophet. He is. He says, you know, Lord, that's the best answer you can always give God. Lord, you know. But that wasn't the answer God was looking for. God was looking for somebody to partner with him to prophesy and call on the four winds and bring life where there is no life. And this year is going to be a year where the prophetic uh, anointing in our midst as a people. Now, listen, uh, let me just say this real quick. To be prophetic, it doesn't mean you have to say, thus says the Lord. If you display the heart of God, you're prophetic. If you can tell somebody what God thinks about him, you're prophetic. If you encourage and give, give comfort, you're prophetic. And I, I want us to just embrace the, perf- God is taking us not just to have a perspective on something, because a perspective is good, but he's taking us from perspective to prophetic power, where we can prophesy and we can activate and release and actually partner with heaven and see things happen. And this is the year of rising up. Come on, somebody. Last week, I shared a word with you out of Isaiah 48, verse 17. It says that this is the year the Lord is going to teach us to profit. How many are ready to profit? We're going to prophesy, but it's also a year of profit. Profit means to, to move upward and forward. This is a year to move upward and forward. God is going to bless his people. He's going to open the windows of heaven, posture yourself rightly. It's not just a financial blessing, although that's a big part of it, but it is inspiration, innovation, creativity. He's opening the windows of heaven and we get to participate in those blessings. Now this morning, I want to share a word with you that's a a foundation and a springboard to rising up, to having dominion. How many know God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and then he said, have dominion. See, the dominion that you have in your life, that we've been redeemed in Christ, and we have been given dominion, uh, we can have dominion and have responsibility, take ownership in the areas of responsibility that we should in our lives. It comes from the very nature of the breath of God breathing into us. And we have to understand something that when when God called man to have dominion and he, he commanded us to subdue, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, God wants us to reign in life. Reigning in life is taking responsibility of what we have been given in our life. That means even in the sim- simple act of uh, having ownership over our own spirit, our own thoughts. Like some people, they want to, you know, like... Uh, they want to run a community, but they can't even govern their own thoughts. God wants to, self-control is a fruit of the spirit. You are powerful and you have self-control in Christ. In other words, you can rise up and you can, you can be free. You can walk in freedom, uh, but you can have dominion. You can reign in this life. You can reign over your finances. You can reign over relationships. You can set healthy boundaries. You can, you can break cords that need to be broken. Like God wants you to reign this year. He wants you to rise up and he wants you to reign in this life. If you're ready to reign, say amen. amen. 
And I want to I teach you this morning on a springboard. This is a word that's dear to my heart, but some things that the Lord was speaking to me a couple of weeks ago, I really encourage you, please listen to the message because there were some things burning in me um, that I think are really important. And, and I'll be going into some of this stuff in the future. Uh, but I believe that we are at a, a point where, where the Lord is, is calling us right now into deep intimacy. And, and he is wanting, now listen, there's great fruitfulness coming. Anytime there's fruitfulness, even in the natural, it's, it's, it's just, it, it happens in both realms. It happens in the spirit and the natural. My wife was pregnant. Um, she got pregnant over a year ago, and now we have a little baby girl. And we weren't expecting this fifth. This is number five. Say number five. Johnny number five. Johnny number five. And so, how many remember that movie, Short Circuit? Come on, somebody. And, and we had our fifth baby. And as soon as my wife got pregnant, other women got pregnant. Boom, boom, boom. Now, um, one of the things that happened recently, and my wife and I, this is a testimony, because we used to have a, a um, business and own a lot of real estate and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and we, because of the economy and other things, you know, we lost almost everything. God has been restoring. And we got to buy a house um, just a couple months ago. And it was literally a miracle. And the way we found the home, it was a hidden gem. I mean, God, it, it, was, it was hidden from other people. The listing was in the wrong area code. It's in Henderson in a great area. And it was listed like it was in North Las Vegas or something. And so it never got any foot traffic. We, we thought it was a mistake. No one had ever lived in it. We got it 20,000 below list. That doesn't happen, realtors, right, right now. Once it's on the market, it's gone. This thing was on the market and preserved. God had it on reserve just for us. I believe that this is a year that you're going to see an acceleration of restoration an acceleration of things restored to you that the enemy has taken. Uh, but, but it's a year that you're going to see blessings come forth. Um, but here's what happens. When there's fruitfulness in the natural, there's, there's fruitfulness in the spiritual. When there's blessing in the natural, we took ownership. I'm telling you, we're about to take ownership as a church into our new building. Come on, somebody. Let me hear a big shout right there. We'll be sharing some news of, about the next course of events and plans we have for that. And we had a really good conversation with some people um, in regards to that. And, and so there's going to be some, uh, some great um, things ahead for that. But I, I want to share a word with you about preparing for that. Like, how do I walk in fruitfulness? Because I could, I could say, yes, I want to take ownership. Yes, I want to have dominion. Yes, I want to be responsible. I got to do what God's called me to do. And I can just run out the door, run out of church, or get up from listening to some podcast of some inspirational message about rising up and taking ownership. And I could end up just striving and actually working out of religious obligation instead of doing what God created me to do. See, one of the things that we need to do is redefine the word call. Like if you're called by God, it doesn't mean that you're called to the fivefold ministry. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has gifts. And your calling, the calling of God is not just for the 2% of the body of Christ that actually are paid staff within the church. The calling of God is for you to advance the kingdom. The church and the kingdom are not the same thing. All of the church is contained in the kingdom, but the church is God's house, God's dwelling place, the people of God. He's building his house. He's also advancing the kingdom outside the four walls, outside in relationships. And one of the things that I see, and, and I'm going to talk about just a little bit this morning, is how sometimes we box in the word call. Like, I'm called of God. Have you ever thought to yourself, be honest, I, I have. 
like that person's called of God and that person isn't. Have you ever thought that in the past? Raise your hand. If you're really honest, I bet you'd raise your hand. I mean, really like, oh, they just got the call of God on them because we have, and the reason why we do it, and, and sometimes the Lord will highlight people and just like, they're just anointed, like something about them. I believe that. But sometimes it's our definition of the word call. We are referring to a specific nature or a ministry call or a call um, of the ministry gifts, like the fivefold ministry. Like they're called to be a pastor or they're called to be a prophet or they're called to be an apostle or whatever, an evangelist. And they're, they're going to preach or they're called to preach. But the word calling must be redefined. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So I'm going to read a few verses and go for it. Are you ready? Luke chapter 10 from the New Living Translation, verses 38 through 42. And Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. That is so sweet of Martha, isn't that? Welcoming Jesus in her house. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Say big dinner. Glory to God. I didn't eat breakfast. Can we just say law right now for a moment? What are you imagining? Close your eyes. What are you imagining? I'm imagining soul food right now. Collard greens, baked mac and cheese. Mm. Oh, glory to God. Okay. Distractions. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm preaching on distractions. Yes, Lord. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted, unlike the preacher, by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister, you like the way I'm doing Martha here, just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Jesus said to her, my dear Martha. I, I love the New King James. It's Martha, Martha. Like if the Lord says your name twice, you better listen. Martha, Martha, Rochelle, Rochelle, Zachary, Zachary. When my wife wants my attention, she calls me Zachary. Like I'm a little kid. My mother called me Zachary. Zachary. Yes. I will turn my head quickly. Martha, why are you worried and upset over all these details? There's only one thing worth being concerned about. I love that. Like she put her value in the wrong thing. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. Lord, speak to us this morning. Touch your people this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you. Your word is not just letters on a page, but your words, Jesus, according to John chapter 6, your words are spirit. Your words are alive. Your words are breath. Your words are wind that come inside of us and bring change and blow chaff off of us and, and impregnate us with things that we didn't have before. Your word changes our heart. We love your word and we come with anticipation in Jesus name. Give God a big shout real quick. Would you please come on? You know, it's interesting, this place that they're hanging out at Bethany it was actually a place that they hung out. Like Bethany was the spot. When you growing up, did you ever have friends? You just, there was a specific spot you hung out. 
This was the kickback place. This is where, like, this is where everyone hung out. Jesus, a lot of scholars believe this is where, you know, Lazarus was there. And they would often hang out. It could have been like a singles ministry. Like, they would just go and they would hang out. And this is what they were doing. They're hanging out. I think that this story is such a paradigm shift. If you get this revelation, I don't care if you've been in, listen, I I have a long way to go. Uh, I was not raised in the church. I haven't been in ministry that long. But if you've been in ministry for 59,000 years, I don't care. This revelation is so important for us to get in order to live our lives from this place. That there is a dichotomy here. There is something about Mary and Martha and this place called Bethany. They're hanging out. Uh, and, And Mary, the Bible says, has chosen the better portion. You know, Bethany means... House of misery. Isn't that interesting? But it also means, it's a play on words, it has two meanings, same word. It also means house of fruitfulness. In other words, like you could be in one place, but depending on how you live your life and the paradigm which you live in, you're either going to live in misery or you're going to live in fruitfulness. And Mary chose the greater portion. I used to think that there's like this balance between Martha and Mary. Have you ever heard the saying, like, I want to serve like Martha and I want to worship like Mary. You ever heard that before or something like that? I don't think that that's accurate. I think that if we are serving like Martha, we're striving because Martha got rebuked. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get rebuked by the Lord. And, and we do, right? The Lord corrects us. If he didn't, then he it doesn't love us. By the way, the disciplines of the Lord are not sickness and infirmity and those types of things. Come on, say amen to that. But she got rebuked, and I see this this dichotomy here of Mary, a type of living under grace, and Martha still trying to measure up and living under law. I I don't know if you know this or not. Side note, if you're a Christian, which you probably are because you're in church on Sunday morning, that if, if you're in the new covenant, you don't need a balance between law and grace. Did you know that? Well, we need a little bit of law to remind us not to sin. No, you don't. You need grace to empower you to live in freedom. Amen. You don't need the law at all. We are not under the law. The law has been fulfilled. Now the law that you live under is the law of love and the law of liberty, which there's no limits. Hallelujah. You were made to fly. And so this is not a a story of balancing out the Martha spirit and the Mary spirit. What about work though? There's work to do. How many know there's work to do? Like look at the person next to you say, there's work to do. We got souls to reach. We got buildings to buy. We got, come on, we got people to minister to. We got disciples to make. We got nations to travel to. Hello? We've got businesses to start. We've got houses to buy and we've got things to do. There's work that needs to be done. So where does this work thing fit in? If we're always sitting at the table hearing the Lord's word. Like I imagine this, and and sometimes I've envisioned this and I see this because this is a proverbial picture. This is an understanding that if I live in the rest of God, if I, if I'm like Mary, that doesn't mean I sit on my butt. Hello. It just means I work from the right paradigm. See, some people love to serve and some people serve to love. Let me tell you the difference. If you love to serve, you may just be serving because deep in your heart, you have an insignificance about yourself before the father and you are serving because you know that there's promotion in the outcome of it. That's the wrong motivation. 
But if you serve to love, it means you're serving just because you love, just because you are in love with Jesus. And and it doesn't matter if you get a position, a title, or a ministry, hello. Redefining the call. Like if someone has a, quote, ministry, it doesn't mean they're walking in their calling versus someone who isn't. I could be a businessman and be an apostle. Hello? I could be a, a, a woman business person that is, that is apostolic and an apostle. I could be a, a teacher that's a pastor and I teach people. And, and we have to step out of the box of what we define as calling and what we define as ministry. But if I serve to love, then I'm, I'm just loving. And love's motive, listen, love does not demand anything, but it's going to get results. Like if I love you, you don't have to love me back. I'm still going to love you. It's like God's love. But guess what? God's love is so powerful. It will conquer you. It will overcome you. It will penetrate your heart. It will walk through your walls. This is what I see here in this story, in this Bible story. Martha's distracted. Martha's in the kitchen. Martha loves to serve, but she... She doesn't really know love. I want to mention something here real quick. I I feel like, and maybe this is for some of us here. I know it was, and it's still, God is still working this stuff out of me, but it took me years to undo the motive I had in my heart for ministry. And the motive that I had in my heart for ministry was because I felt insignificant or because I didn't feel gifted or because my identity was in my gifts other than my identity just being a son, I never was content. Can you say the word content? And, and there was this thing in me was like I was just never happy and I was always waiting for a new opportunity and I was not going to be content until I had a title, position, or ministry. And the truth is, is none of that will make me content. The only thing that will make me content is knowing that I'm a son of God and knowing that I'm loved. And let me just throw that nugget at you. If you're looking for any of those things, you're not, it's not going to make you happy, I promise. And you might not even be called to those things. 2% of the body of Christ is paid staff within the church. And all the 98 want to be that 2%. Something is off balance. Hello? There's a kingdom that needs to be advanced. And it's not just advanced through the four walls of the church. Actually, it's much more outside the four walls of the church. And it happens through teachers, entrepreneurs, building hospitals. Like, I mean, all these things, there's so many things, dreamers, dreaming and entrepreneurs, actors, come on, the arts and media, all the mountains that we're conquering and we're releasing the dominion of heaven in. Redefining call. Well, here's a couple of things I see in here. Martha was complaining of what she thought Mary was supposed to be doing. We got to redefine the call. Like your calling is right here. Well, maybe not. It's not our job to say this is your calling and that's your calling and try to change someone else's calling. And, you know, I want to do a a series on church government. I want to talk about the church and the fivefold ministry. One of the worst things is for somebody who's not anointed for something and try to tell someone else what they're anointed for, that they're doing it wrong. Hello? It's like the worst thing in the world. Your job is not to change your leaders or the people that are anointed for what they're anointed for. Your job is to do what you're anointed for. And if you focus on what you're anointed for and your heart is set on that, power flows and you'll be happy. But stop looking around for something to critique. You'll never be happy. 
Most of the time, criticism, this is a Martha thing, right? She's like, look at Mary. Criticism is usually the result of some inward criticism. Did you know that? Like if I'm constantly critical, then I actually don't value myself. I don't. Because I'm looking for everything that's wrong. Because really, this is wrong. There's something in my heart. Something going on on the inside. But when I learn that all these distractions can be put away and and I can be satisfied just by being valuable before God. See, Martha was complaining about what she thought Mary was called to do. If I embrace my call, that I'm called to be a priest and a king, then I'm not going to be distracted by all this stuff. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. How many know uh, just a moment ago I was distracted by food? Do you remember that? Remember that moment? Okay. Um, I apologize in advance, but I, I haven't had breakfast. Someone could bring me some muffins on Sunday morning. That'd be a blessing. But some muffin bacon ministry or some Marthas that are hospitable in here. Praise the Lord for muffins. I'm doing it again. You see, I'm, doing, I'm think, literally I'm thinking about a blueberry muffin. You know, the ones that are still hot and the top is just, and there's big blueberries in there. Like you. You could bite into the blueberry. Not the ones you get at the store, just a little tiny dots of dried blueberry. The real chunky blueberries. Glory to God. Don't look at me like I'm sinful. The Bible says God satisfies your mouth with good things. The other day, not the other day, it was a while ago. Have you ever been distracted by a menu? The Bible says that that Mary was distracted by the big menu. Have you ever been to Cheesecake Factory? Come on. Pumpkin cheese, cake, white chocolate cheese. Here I go again. You ever go to a restaurant, you know exactly what you want, and then you look at the menu, you're like, oh my gosh, what do I get? Sometimes I'm like, honey, just order for me, please. You know what I like. <laughs> so I go to Cheesecake Factory. I look at the menu. I'm like, now I have no idea what to get. Their menu is so extensive. We're at a Thai restaurant one time with the Millers, Ed and Glenda Miller, and, uh, and we're hanging out. We're about ready to grub on some good, spicy Thai food. And the waitress comes up and Glenda has a question to the waitress, right? She's ready to eat. She's like, I think I know what I want. I'm going to talk to the waitress and ask her a question about this. Now, Glenda's a sister. Can you say sister? She's African-American and white. And um, and so she's a sister and she says, well, I like the curry, you know, and, and, you know, what, tell me about this or whatever. And, and I swear the the waitress, she's Thai, so she doesn't speak really good English, but she's like, oh yeah, it's good for the Negro. And we're like, Shaba, Grace. She walks away. And Glenda does the neck thing. My wife does it every once in a while. When she does it, she's got my attention. Glenda did that. Did she just say what I think she said? (laughs) My wife does the neck thing. I'm telling you, when she does it to me, I'm like, yes, honey, what? You want the kids to listen to your mother? As soon as she does the neck thing, Glenda was doing the neck thing. You know what the neck thing is, right? The neck thing, like, girl. And you can't, my wife, she's assisted too. She's like, I can't even do it. Ow, hurt. So Glenda does the neck thing. She's like, did she just say it's good for the Negro? <laughs> We're like, hold on a minute. Patience, grace, love. Glenda, love. We all held her down and prayed in tongues over her. No, we didn't. It's like, girl. We realized later that she was saying it's good with a dark beer. 
But we were distracted in that moment. From about to eat good Thai food to a sister's going to get crazy on another sister. Martha was distracted with the menu while Mary was enjoying the main course. Distracted with religious obligation instead of caught up in a divine romance. I believe the Lord is calling us out of the kitchen to the table of intimacy. I think the look on Mary's face, because she was just, she loved Jesus. I think that the look that she had on her face was just like the look my wife has when my wife watches chick flicks. It looks something like this. No, it doesn't look like the second. Just this cheesy grin. One time, Laris and I are in the same room as these ladies are watching Pride and Prejudice. Such a cute movie. The part where he just comes in on the horse. Oh, I love it. So sweet. I think that's a good part. I don't know. But we're looking. Laris and I look over. And Brooke and Rochelle, I think Sadie was there. And they're all like, they all had this look. That was Mary's look at the table, just looking at Jesus, clinging on every word. I'm just so in love. That's what you should be like with Jesus. Come on. It's a divine romance. Guess what? Mary knew how to enjoy life. Martha was just, <laughs> just uptight. Martha, get out of the kitchen. Enjoy life. You're blessed. Smile. You're in church. Be happy. Live life to the fullest. Sitting at the table of intimacy will unlock the authority to reign as we are seated with him in heavenly places. If you want to reign in life, then you have to sit at the table. You cannot rule and reign without first entering a place of rest in the heart of God. Did you hear what I said? As a matter of fact, Harold Everly says this, that even physical rest helps you regain dominion over your life. Some of you are working too hard and you need to rest. Literally, Martha. But figuratively, we all have this, this thing in us that wants to do, 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 do. And all it is is do, do. Instead of be and do. Mary took the time and understood what she was a part of and said, I'm going to sit at his table because... I know the opportunity I have as a woman of this day, even to be a disciple was a big deal. Do you know what you're a part of? Do you know the opportunity you have that God's calling you into intimacy? I want to say this again. Sitting at the table of intimacy unlocks authority to reign as we are seated with him in heavenly places. God isn't looking for mere hospitality. He's not just looking for your welcome. He's looking for intimacy. He's calling you to his table to come sit down with him, to sit at his feet, to hear his heart beating. Guess what? It's beating for you. Luke chapter 10 in the message, it says, Mary clung to every word. She was clinging to every word that was coming out of his mouth. Just like my wife is watching a chick flick, just, just captivated by the romance of it. I want to be captivated by the romance of heaven. We're wanting to be fruitful, right? We're wanting to reign in life. We want to have dominion. We want to be responsible. But fruitfulness, true fruitfulness, fruit that remains only comes out of intimacy, not running ahead of God. 
and getting distracted by the menu and trying to make something up for Jesus that he never ordered. Intimacy will always lead to fruitfulness. I want to read a verse to you out of Romans in closing in just a moment. Romans chapter 5. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Romans chapter 5. This is such a powerful verse. This should be a life verse for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. Although Mary was standing and working, she was actually sitting in the seat of the scornful. Psalm chapter 1. It's a religious spirit, by the way. The word scornful, I'll be teaching a little bit more on this. The word scornful, if you read it in the ASV, in the original language, it's the word Lilith. It's a Jezebel spirit. It's that religious spirit that's doing, do, 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 and got to look right, got to act right, instead of be right and live from identity and live out of intimacy, walking in fruitfulness. She was sitting in the seat of the scornful. A couple weeks ago, I, I talked a little bit more about that, but we've got to go from the seat of the scornful to being seated with him in intimacy. There's a difference between sitting and resting and scorning. Read Psalm chapter 1 in the Amplified Version. It's very powerful. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. There's a difference between resting and scorning versus sitting at the table of intimacy that empowers us to reign. Intimacy empowers you to reign. Are you hearing me? Intimacy with God empowers you to take responsibility and be fruitful, not caught up in the Martha kitchen, but released to be free, doing what you were created to do with joy and passion. Would you sit at the table? Can you, can you hear the Lord calling you out of the kitchen? I mean, really. Just your, whatever your name is. Rochelle, Rochelle. Can you, Zach, get out of the kitchen. Get, get out of that religious obligation. Work from a place of rest. We were made to work six days a week. Read Genesis. That was before the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant wasn't until Exodus. Well, that was Old Covenant. No, it wasn't. God was walking with man in the cool of the day. We were made to work. Not under any curse. We were made to work. But guess what? Man came about on the day of rest. You were created to work from a place of rest, not work to rest. Now, when you get that, you'll shout and run around. Okay. Sit at his table, hear his voice, cling to every word, get out of the kitchen, get out of the seat of the scornful. Let him call you to the table. Do you want to reign? Do you want to have dominion? Then sit at the table of intimacy where there's a feast laid before you, an abundance laid before you. I had a dream the other night before I read Romans 5.17, and in the dream... The Lord asked me, do you want to reign? I'm like, yeah, I want, to, I want to have dominion. I want to do what you've created me to do. You've given me authority, God. I can make choices. I can do. And he says, then come sit at my table. That is the place of reigning. And I'm like, whoa. This whole message was birthed on that moment in my dream. Sitting at the table with the Lord empowers us to reign in life. Romans 5.17, are you ready? In closing, For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You want to reign? Receive the abundance of grace. 
and his gift of righteousness. You don't need to work up something in the kitchen to look right or act right. You are right in the sight of God. And that is the springboard of righteousness, of holiness. Holiness is relational. Did you know that? It's even relational this way too. Us learning to love one another actually makes us more holy. Did you know that? It's in 1 Thessalonians. It talks about loving one another and holiness being perfected in you. Now I know why there's so many people around me that bug me. God's using them to make me more holy. You want to reign in life, receive his grace. Listen, grace is empowered obedience. Grace is not a cushion to fall on. We receive mercy at the cross. It is an act of grace, but the definition of grace is not just unmerited favor. It's divine empowerment to walk the way we were meant to walk in Christ. Come on, somebody. Seal that with a shout of praise, would you? I want to just close in prayer, and then Helene has a prophetic uh, picture that she... Actually, you probably drew one today too, did you? Okay, I would like to uh, present both. Rochelle, if you can grab the other one in the office. Um, It was beautiful, and I meant to share it last week, but we got caught up in the space. We're doing altar ministry. But I want to just seal this word. Are you ready to receive this just sitting at the table of intimacy? Come on. During worship, let me share this real quick before I pray, that uh, I told my wife, I said, I see you adorned in this beautiful gown. And I just see this picture of Esther. And I see the king calling you into inner chamber. And it was for her, but it was also for the body of Christ. And I believe the Lord is... And the gown was transparent. And it was like there's, you, you just see right through it. And, and, and it was like that moment of just, oh, walking in the light. Like I'm coming before you, king. I'm coming. You're calling me to intimacy. It was beautiful. I believe the bride is adorned. You must see her as glorious. Get out of the seat of the scornful. Start speaking life to the body of Christ. Two weeks ago, I talked about how sometimes we look in the valley of dry bones and we start mocking the skeletons instead of speaking life. And bride bashing. And God's like, I want you to move from the seat of scornful to the seat of intimacy so that you can reign, so you can speak life, so you can bless. Because the bride is glorious, the bride is adorned, and the king is calling her into the inner chamber. Isn't that beautiful? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray right now, religious chains of obligation would just fall off of people right now. And I command, Lord, that striving spirit to just leave people's minds right now. No more. He's calling you to his table. He's calling you to intimacy. He's calling you to hear his voice and cling on every word to be caught up in a divine romance. Lord, we're just in all of your love and I thank you for your people. And let this word be a springboard for taking ownership rising up and living life to the fullest, enjoying life, but taking time to sit at your table and working from a place of entering your rest. No more striving. I just declare the rest of God and I declare the significance of the love of Father God over you. No more striving. Even that saying that we read in Proverbs, your gift will make room for you. I believe it's in Proverbs. We always resort it. We always think about it in the church. Guess what? It was speaking about God opening doors before kings and great leaders of governmental authority. Your gift, maybe your gift hasn't made room for you. Hear me. This is prophetic for some of you. Maybe your gift has not made room for you in the house of the Lord. That's because you're supposed to be connected to the house and your gift is to make room for you before kings and governments. 
redefine the call. Don't scorn like Martha and say, this isn't what you're called to do. Be responsible in your own call and find out that you're called to advance the kingdom. You're part of the church, the people of God, his dwelling place. But go forward in advance, but do it from a place of rest. I bless you, people of God. I call you to rise up. I call you with the authority of heaven to rise up and walk in the fullness and the abundance of God's grace. In Jesus' mighty name, would you say amen?